0: Welcome to the heart of leadership. I'm your host, Oliver Manolis, and on this show, we explore practical insights to help you live a life you love, do work that matters, and make an impact on the world around you. Here, we are explorers of possibility. What becomes possible when you reclaim your power, unlock your potential, and align with your purpose? What difference could you make in this world? I'm excited to lean into the edge of possibility with you and grateful to have you join us. Today's guest is Brett Smith, and I'm incredibly excited and honored to have him on the show. Brett is a vocalist, writer, and musician of the band Smith & Dragoman. If you've never heard their music, I highly recommend you check them out. Their music transcends time and genres, with their layered and textured melodies, they embed profound stories aligned with their faith as Baha'is, and even connects with people beyond religion at a very deeply spiritual level. I still remember the first time I met Brett. He was playing a solo acoustic set at a mutual friend's home, and I remember as he played, my fiance Janet and I, we just kept looking at each other in awe, like, oh my god. Goodness, is this really happening right now? It was just Brett radiated peace, joy, generosity, and love. And we were definitely moved by his performance and his presence. You're likely to run into Brett at countless Zoom gatherings, as they are right now, in the Baha'i community, either sharing a prayerful song, delivering a talk on the role of the creator, the artist, or you might catch him mid sparring session, donning his gi and black belt in karate. <laughs> He's always cracking people up with his humor or sending people into deep thought with his observations as he sips his coffee or is elbow deep in a bag of smart food. (laughs) I've gotten to know Brett and his incredible family and must say they are a huge source of warmth and inspiration to both me and Janet and what is possible for romantic relationship, partnership, family, being parents, Brett is a husband, father, and someone who's become a dear friend, and someone who I consider a mentor, and always leave our conversations with countless insights, lessons, and a sense of groundedness and peace. And a lot of questions. <laughs> yeah, just like, huh? Yeah. Whoa, what was that about? <gasps> what am I doing with my life? <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, I'm honored to share with you my conversation with Brett Smith. Brett, <laughs> welcome to the show. Oh, man. That was great.
1: If I die before you, and chances are I will, I want you to do my eulogy. <laughs> that was
0: really good. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. And uh, what's what's really exciting today is there's there's two firsts. Yeah. Because the the one the first first, it's a first show. is this is the earliest... Oh. <laughs> recording ever 3 a.m i got here. 3 a.m slot <laughs> this is the monk slot right? Yeah. like when you're a serious monk that's right because that's right. <laughs> we are near monastery drive it's the it's a monastery uh, yeah yeah <laughs> that's why i moved here <laughs> exactly and then the other first is um you're the first musical guest oh wow cool. to bring and deliver oh, good. so the bar hasn't been raised too high yet. <laughs> <laughs> an auditory okay. experience for us and i'm so excited to uh to explore that together and um so like i do want to dive into the conversation but i want to give just a little bit of con like context beyond the intro that i just delivered yeah just you know we were on one of these zooms a couple of months ago and i remember janet and i just like like your your dad was speaking and then you sang a song and then asher sang a song and we we're just looking at each other, just like that first moment that we that that we met you. Mm. And we were just like, oh my, like it's so amazing to see multiple generations of this family. And I'm like, and we're looking at each other, and I'm telling Janet, I'm like, this is what I want. Like, I want a beautiful legacy, a beautiful family like this. And right. I remember one of the that first night that you that you sang, we sat down and like it was. I think it was your boy. We didn't we didn't know them yet, right? I think two of them were, were your sons, and they were sitting like right beside us. And there's a saying in the Bible: "By their fruits you shall, shall know, know them." <laughs> and I see our children as the fruits, right. and you will know uh, you will know them by their their fruits, right? And so we see your your kids and how present they are, and how clear they are. And the types of comments and questions that come out of their mouth during this very adult and very deep conversation, elevated conversation, mm-hmm. like, like, we used, like we like to call them.
2: Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. And Janet and I, we have these moments. We just keep looking at each other. Like, we don't have too many reference points mm-hmm. where there are youths uh, who are in their teens who are this present, this attentive, mm-hmm. who are this profound in their comments and their questioning. And the reason why I bring that up to you is because, you know, Jen and I, we are starting in our journey, you know, getting married and want to start our own family. And just to see the type of dynamic that you have, and we have these fireside chats. It's like 7 30, 7 o'clock in the morning. The last couple of weeks is become an institution. Yeah. And I get to see how when your boys wake up, when Maureen wakes up, how you greet each other Mm -hmm. how warm you are with each other, Um, it's just like, oh, like for me, that is so beautiful and Mm. so inspirational. And and it's, you know, it really quells the, you know, any, you know, fears around becoming a parent Mm -hmm. Um, because I see this. I look at human beings as portals of possibility when you are in proximity with these certain people they open up these realms of, oh, this is possible in family, in relationship, in love, mm-hmm. in faith, and spirituality. And that's one of the, the reasons, there's many reasons, but that's definitely one of the major reasons why I'm so excited to have you be here with us.
1: Wow. That's a great intro. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. It's really nice to to hear a perspective that's outside of your family and to get that insight, because for me, it's it's you know it's life. It's kind of this is what I'm used to, and so to have somebody kind of point that out, that's really a it's insightful and it's it's nice. It's a nice reminder to be grateful for what we have, and that maybe not everyone has that. I think um, <clears throat> you know, I'd be remiss to say that both Maureen and I, as Maureen's my wife, as you know, and I, I think we'd be remiss to say that we didn't have good models growing up. And I think that's helped help to kind of form that kind of family dynamic that you're talking about. You know, she comes from a very strong family and very united. And, you know, we were talking the other day about every night dinner together, right? That's like an institution. And that was the same in my family too. Just, you know, very, very, um, strong sense of family and community and helping each other and listening to each other. And so that's definitely something we've tried to emulate. Um, But with with respect to the kids, I think we both feel that youth in general have tremendous capacity that is untapped. I think often society looks at youth as kind of like, "Oh my God, let's just like I hope they get to adulthood soon," right? (laughs) Because they're just kind of a pain in the butt until they get to adulthood. But the fact is, youth and junior youth, sort of that period between eleven and fourteen, if they're given certain call them stretch assignments or certain goals or a vision of their own capacity, then they they can really excel and do amazing things, amazing things. And I'm not saying that that's our kids, but that's our orientation and our expectation. And not only is it our expectation for them, but it's their expectation for themselves because we've instilled, we've tried to instill in them, you are much greater than what you see around you. And I'm not saying that in that you're better. I'm saying the capacity that you have inside you is much greater than society maybe mirrors back towards you. And how do we promote that and how do we encourage that? So, I mean, that's what i can say there but i agree they're great kids (laughs) like i'm i'm like i'm always in in awe with these guys i'm like wow these kids are amazing who raised these kids (laughs) (laughs) where did you come from yeah they're not mine they're they're yeah but i think it's it's the ongoing dynamic the consultation the discussions and you know you mentioned the baha'i faith obviously there's a lot of discussions in our family about you know the purpose of life and service to humanity and what that looks like and it's it's an ongoing thing it's not an event it's just part of Uh, the fabric of who we are
0: it's a process it's definitely a process and you know it's when you talk about that you know our our youth and our junior youth are capable of so much more have such a greater capacity than what they see around them you know the the first things that really come to mind are um, you know we definitely demand of our kids when it comes to like sports Mm -hmm. right or music or grades so we we definitely like raised a bar i think in a lot of those areas and and, um, i'm not a parent yet but i've been involved in some of you know the local local schools here and have had intimate conversations uh with some of the students and what their experience is and there's definitely a lot on their plate and there's a lot that's expected of them yeah their schedules are jam-packed um but i think what what you refer to in this capacity, there's there's something else. There's almost like it's not just get good grades, you know, perform well in your violin recital, uh, you know, get into the school and, you know, s- score the winning goal or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is almost like when I see at when I know that at nine in the morning, your son is rolling out of bed to go and be in a service based conversation about Mm -hmm. how do we serve the community Mm -hmm. with a bunch of other teens like what like your extra time in the middle of the weekend you're thinking about how do we better our local community how do how do we support each other how do we teach each other about about leadership about about support about uh, service mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. It's, it's i think it's a, def, a different mm-hmm. capacity it's kind of another another area that that uh, i think is it's so much more it's very nourishing and very refreshing to hear about
1: yeah yeah th- yeah i agree and I, I think it's it's it comes to the orientation we have about our own potential and our purpose in life and i think um All of us, the orientation for all of us uh, in our family is one of service. Like that's kind of our north star, right? How do we serve our community? How do we advance civilization? Like that's kind of you know as Baha'is, what we're what we're trying to do. How do we advance civilization? What does that look like as an individual and as a community? And there's lots of programs that uh, the youth and the junior youth can plug into to kind of release those capacities. So. It's one thing to kind of identify the capacity, but if you don't have, like, a channel, if you don't have a structure in which that capacity can flourish, then it's kind of wasted. Um, And so within the Baha'i community, there's a lot of ways to channel and to, you know, and to help growth and, and, um, and to serve the community. So our guys are, yeah, I mean... And we're lucky because uh, I mean Oakville's a great community and we've got great sister communities and, and so they, they have a lot of friends and peers, Baha'is and non Baha'is who are who are involved in these things and they get a lot of they get a lot of joy out of it. Like it's so funny now. My kids you know, Eli as an example, he's seventeen so he's driving now, so he'll come <laughs> it'll be like six in the afternoon, I'll be making dinner. He's like, Hey Dad, I gotta go out for an hour and a half, I gotta do a food drive I'll be like, OK, <laughs> I, don't even, I don't remember talking about like it's it's sort of taken on its own life now. And I guess for Maureen and I, that's that's really what our initial goal was. The other stuff that society deems important and we don't play it down, um, you know, to excel in these areas is important. But for us, the, the the most important thing is the foundational spiritual growth. And then the other stuff can build on that. There's um <clears throat> there's something in the Baha'i writings that basically says you could be the smartest person in the world and the the greatest inventor and so on, but if you lack kindness, then of what worth are you really? And so that's kind of my orientation with the kids is I I want them to excel in the spiritual qualities, and the other stuff is secondary to me. It's kind of like okay, so you were a CEO, uh, whatever, <laughs> <laughs> you know. I mean, and that's fine, but did you? did you help somebody today? Did you, what did you do to advance civilization? Wow. And so I think, I think you have to kind of always check in with yourself and kind of weigh those two things together. So, I mean, yeah, you said like I, I do karate, my kids do karate, my whole family did karate. You know, we do music, we do, we do lots of things, but we try to not let any one thing take over our lives at the distraction of, you know, building up or serving humanity. So, yeah. and these are the conversations, and and it's not like we we all have it figured out because there's also certain times in life when when certain things are important. Like my nephew, you know, he he's just finishing up med school. Like it was important for him to dedicate himself to that, right? to do it and to do it
0: if you're doing med school you're all
1: in there's like sprints there's like moments where you have to
0: you're doing a sprint like when you're launching an album yeah i'm sure there's times where everything kind of starts to focus around that time yeah energy attention yeah goes towards those specific and that's okay as long
1: as you don't lose sight of the the bigger picture i think i i think that's how i'm viewing it anyways because it is it's it's important to excel in certain things and and work is worship and you want to you know we don't want to be those people that are not contributing to society from a work perspective. Like that's important too, but yeah, it's the balance.
0: And that really aligns with my own personal experience in the way that I became so focused in my twenties on becoming wealthy, on really making it in my real estate investing career. And it, and it came at the cost of everything else. And, And I'm really, I'm very passionate about the idea of of you know this whole idea of succeeding, but then you're spiritually bankrupt along the way, right? And you know that cost me so much, and that was such a dark night of the soul for me. Yeah. That you know part part of my purpose is to help help people avoid that in their own life, yeah. or, or or be a guiding light along the way to to ensure that, you know, these things don't take over, like you say, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, you have these passions, you have these these things that you really care about, you have these gifts that you want to share, but you want to still make sure that it comes from like a more integrated place. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I would love for you to just introduce us a little bit to the Baha'i faith, because it is sure. it's definitely central to uh, to who you are, to our 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 conversations mm-hmm. and um I know a lot of people might not have heard what you know what that is and mm-hmm. it is definitely uh newer for a lot of people mm-hmm. so could you share with us yeah, yeah um, sure more about it? Yeah um
1: probably the best thing to start with is there's there's no clergy in the Baha'i faith so anything I say is really my understanding and it's important to kind of convey that but uh for like an authoritative view of it Baha'i.org a great website to kind of go um That's so yeah B A H A I, yes, correct b-a-h-a-i.org um so i was i was actually born a baha'i um 68 my parents both came from very uh christian backgrounds my mom's father was the moderator of the presbyterian church in canada so i had a quite high profile you know family there um, and they were missionaries in China, and so she was raised in that, and my father was raised in the United Church and everything. And when they got married, I don't know if it was the spirit of the, the late 60s or, or what it was, but they, for whatever reason, they were searching for something because it, it wasn't that they didn't agree with, the, with Christianity and the teachings of Christ. It was more that they couldn't reconcile all the division within the church. Like, why are there so many denominations, and this person... You know, they both believe in Christ, but this guy's saying, well, you're going to hell because, you know, you believe in this version and so on. So, and they were, they were drawn. So they, they saw, so they looked at Buddhism. They look at Mormonism. They looked at a bunch of things. they were on this quest. And then they saw an ad in the newspaper in the Toronto Star, which was um, a picture of a Native American standing in front of a shrine, this odd looking building in, in uh, Haifa, Israel. And it's the Shrine of the Bab, who was the forerunner to Baha'u'llah, who's the prophet founder of the Baha'i faith. And it was very kind of, you know, juxtapos- weird juxtaposition. And then there was a quotation that said, it wasn't until I became a Baha'i that I felt like a first-class citizen. The earth is one country and mankind its citizens. And that's a quote from Baha'u'llah. <clears throat> and that's really resonated. You know, sometimes you just see something or... the yeah, for The timing is right. Circumstances. This quote jumped out at them. The Earth is one country. Mankind its citizens. Well, what does that really mean? So said. If you're interested to learn more about this, call this number. They called the number, and um uh, you know, in the Bahá'í faith, there's no there's no churches. There's no. So they went to some guy's house. They left the home the number with their friends because they're like, this could be a cult. Call nine one one if you don't hear back from us. Like they really had no idea, right? And so they went to this home, and um, they learned about the Baha'i faith, and everything just clicked. It's like, yeah, yeah, I get it. This makes sense. This makes sense. And then a few days later, my dad was sparring. So he's like a seventh-degree black belt. So he was sparring, fighting in in the dojo, and he got kicked in the spleen really hard. And he's a doctor himself, so he's like, I got to go to the hospital. This could be bad, Like, like life and death bad. So they rushed him to the hospital and the person that admitted him was asking all these questions and one was, what's your religion? Because they need to know your religion. Like if, you know, certain religions, you can't do blood transfusions, things like that, right? So I said, what's your religion? And he said, well, <clears throat> currently I'm a Christian, but I hope by the end of the night I'm a Baha'i. And she kind of looked at him <laughs> quizzically, what does that mean? <laughs> and he said, well, he, they had at that time, you you, you kind of had to apply to be a Baha'i, you know, and just to make sure the um, that there's a local spiritual assembly in Toronto, they would look at um, an application, and they just want to make sure this person knows what the Baha'i faith is before they admit. Him. So, he got, he got admitted, <laughs> he got admitted, and he was a Baha'i that night. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I grew up in that, and and some of the central teachings of the Baha'i faith. It's a religion of about six to ten million people, depending on who you ask. It's global; it's in every country in the world. Um, and I think that the really the fundamental teaching of the Baha'i faith is is the oneness of mankind. You know, we are one species in every way, biologically, from the anthropology perspective, but more importantly, spiritual, and that we all come from one Creator. And so what we're trying to figure out is and through the teachings of baha'u'llah the founder what does that look like in today's current how is that concept expressed in our daily lives what does it mean to be one right it's not enough for us to just kind of sit back in our chairs and go yeah i love everybody everyone's great no how do we demonstrate that how do we raise women up right the equality of women and men is a central teaching in the faith um the harmony between science and religion is actually a central teaching. What does that look like today, right? With the excess of science without a spiritual component, it's, it leads to materialism. With the excesses of, of religion without science, it leads to superstition, right? So how do those two balance each other? What is the expression of that? Um, and it's not an individual salvation religion. It's I mean, there's definitely that piece of it. But it's more about, as an individual in this this world, corporal existence, how do I develop my spiritual capabilities while serving humanity so that um, in the next world, which we believe is fully spiritual, I can then continue to grow and develop. We believe the next world is fully spiritual. So the purpose of this world is to develop our spiritual capabilities. Just like in the womb, you're developing your limbs and your organs for this world. In this world, you develop kindness and patience and, you know, certitude and all these things which are going to be expressed tenfold in the next world. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, we could talk for days just about what is the Baha'i Faith. But uh, I guess the one other thing I'll say is it's really a community of people that is is really has its heart in the well-being of mankind. And it's about individual and social transformation and understanding that the individual impacts society and the society impacts the individual. Like they can't exist apart from each other. So how do we influence each other in a way that is continually evolving? And last, (laughs) Oliver, sorry, I think the last thing I'll say is that, um, we really, again, we were, we regard every every being as spiritual and all part of one creation and that fundamentally we are noble beings and we have a tremendous capability and capacity spiritually and we believe that civilization as a whole humanity as a whole has evolved much like an individual and we've gone from stages of infancy to junior youth to adolescence and we believe now we're coming into an age of collective maturity but we're still in that kind of late adolescence like
0: adulthood yeah
1: and you know adolescence is marked by like rebellion and confusion and just lashing out and stuff, but we feel like we're kind of bridging over, and there's a collective consciousness now about, hey, you know what there's all these world problems that are forcing us to to understand that we are one humanity, the environment being probably
0: the most obvious one, and how do we tackle that so Thank you for sharing about the baha'i faith there like like you said we can go on for days and years and generations having this conversation for me my personal experience is you know i think it's it was just so wonderful how it kind of really came how i came across it Mm -hmm. and you know i'm a Me and Janet are fans of this show, uh, Jane the Virgin. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Justin. And it's one of the funniest things ever. And I started following Justin because he just seemed like he'd be a cool guy. I don't know why. And he would have these Instagram posts of like working out and doing inspirational videos. And I'd be like, and I would tune in every once in a while. I'm like, yeah, this guy is cool beyond just, you know, being an actor or whatever. And these, these great performances. And then one day... He's talking about this fast he's on and how you know what he's going through and mm. his prayers mm-hmm. and what it means to him. And I'm like, fasting? Who's fasting now? Like, I know it's not Ramadan. I know it's not like any. Of, like, <laughs> what it's, kind of? I'm like, who's doing this? Is just, just this random fast? So I look up what he's talking about about right. the Baha'i faith, and I see all these. Um, you know, I think I, I think it was first Wikipedia, and I saw that. Yeah. You know, the Baha'is acknowledge the the oneness of mankind. They they res- they look at every religion as part of the same conversation. Yeah, they just really honor yeah progressing yeah. Yeah. and they honor each what you know what the Baha'is would call a divine expression or manifestation of absolutely. God. Yeah, whether it's uh, the Buddha, whether it's Jida, Jesus or Muhammad, yeah. Baha'u'llah. They all they recognize all religions yeah. and um, the just equality of, the of men book. and women. Yeah. And I'm just like what I'm like there's I don't see anything that I don't agree with that I'm reading about here yeah. um and I found that to be so so interesting that um to to find something out in this way and yeah. like not really have heard about it or learned about it in school yeah. and then um I remember there's there's a local bakery here and you know, a bunch of us wake up really early, and at that time, you know, you can have a coffee and, and hang out and, and be together and like catch up with people r- right before everyone's going to work. And one day, there's this one local guy. He's he's he comes there all the time, and he's one of the most uh, charismatic, excited, personable people there. And he comes in, and he's just like evangelizing. He's just like, oh, and he's a secular, okay? He's like a secular, I I, I believe, atheistic guy, like has no spiritual. Uh, life whatsoever and he says like you know one of our friends told me to go get these prayer books and i went on this journey and i was in santiago chile and this temple it was so extraordinary <laughs> and i fa- found, found this profound sense of peace and all these people were huddling around him as he was just telling like how hmm. impactful the, the whole experience was and how every interaction was was greeted with so much love and warmth and welcoming, mm-hmm. and how thousands of people, no matter what you know, religion or no religion, like were coming there to visit and just experience the grounds. And I highly recommend that people check out the the Bahai Temple in Santiago, Chile, and mm-hmm. the TEDx talk or the TED talk from the Toronto architect mm-hmm. who helped build it. Because if you look at it, it's ridiculous. It looks like it's made out of paper. Yeah. Like it looks like tra- it looks. Uh, translucent in a way like it glows like it and and it just looks so graceful and elegantly built and it's one of those things where you're just like you're in awe and i and for him to to share in that way Mm -hmm. i was just like wow it must have been really moving and then Mm -hmm. that kind of like really led into um you know meeting more people in the community in the oakville area and you know Mm -hmm. and and, and Mm -hmm. us meeting and connecting and things like that and Mm -hmm. um Really, yeah, all, all the interactions, it's like, it's by your deeds, right? I can see from, from, you know, how you, you know, how the, the way that you live and the way that you interact and the way that you serve, the way that you show up, it's, uh, it's very clear, like, there's something here. Yeah. You know, there's something yeah. here that yeah, I yeah, think yeah. can benefit yeah. so many people. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah you expressed that really well you know fun fact uh justin baldoni um i didn't really know who he was many uh maybe five six years ago i wasn't too keen not not keen but i wasn't aware of who he was and uh he and his wife emily actually introduced our band in orange, orange county california <laughs> and um i think it was maybe maybe it was a little longer ago it was before his real claim to fame but uh yeah, he was great. Great guy. The thing I like about Justin is that he has a whole series on YouTube about death, about confronting death in the last days before death. And he's a very um, good... I, I think he's expressed the Baha'i, Baha'i perspective on life after death very well through that show. And I'm really drawn to that topic. So I love you know watching that and listening to his stories. Yeah. Super guy. A lot of energy. Did you ever see um,
0: The Proposal?
2: Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I
0: highly recommend people just check yeah. out, you know, there's 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 a couple of things. I think definitely last days because yeah. it's a documentary of people's last days, people who are, you know, terminally, who are Ill. terminally ill yeah. and and what and they the thing that they don't have is time and they're deciding to give their time mm-hmm. to this production that that yeah. he created to share whatever message or story yeah. or, or or insights from just being in yeah. this in this position. Yeah. Um the, the proposal that he did for it's you know so to for his fiance like it's just this huge production, this vi- this <laughs> yeah. video, you're like, Oh my gosh, who who is this creative and this thoughtful? Like it's so It has this much energy. This much energy.
1: And can you imagine if she said no? <laughs> <laughs>
0: After all that, and she's like, "Yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> it wouldn't, have, it wouldn't have made it on YouTube. That that, that's for sure. <laughs> oh my god. So with, with that, I would, you know, since uh, Justin and Emily had the pleasure of introducing you and your band in, in Orange County, can I have uh, the, the, the extreme pleasure to introduce uh, you, Brett Smith, mm-hmm. to perform mm-hmm. the first song ever on <laughs> the Heart of Leadership?
2: Sure
1: something up here um yeah i think maybe a little intro into the actual music as well okay yeah i was trying to figure out what to play so uh, as as you were saying like i think just by way of introduction the music that we write is um i mean it is inspired by the early history of the baha'i faith first and foremost right And we're lucky because we're still very close to the history. So we have, you know, written accounts of of what happened. But like with the rise of any new um, religion, there's always going to be an equal and opposite force opposing it. And the Baha'i Faith is no exception. And it still is uh, uh, under tremendous opposition in Iran in particular. And uh, anyway, so we have firsthand accounts. And there was a book I read called The Dawnbreakers, which is you know a 500 page sort of story of what happened between 18 I'd say 30 1820 to 1892, and so when you go on in Smith and Dragoman and you listen to the music, a lot of the songs are inspired by those people. But what we're trying to capture not only is the stories, but the indomitable power of the human spirit. Like I feel like these people embody what I want to manifest in myself and you know we all we all i mean this is throughout history there are people like this right that are examples of service selflessness sacrifice tremendous capacity faith and so while some of the music might feel religious i feel like there are certain themes that you can tease out themes about you know love and truth and search and all these things so yeah i had the blessing to meet mike dragoman who's like my partner in crime and music and then his daughter emily and aaron our drummer and john our keyboard player and back in 2003 we we put together our first cd and um yeah so what i thought i would share is um a song called kiss the rope and
0: um oh the story of this is yeah profound
1: yeah so yeah, 1984. Um, there was a woman by the name of Mona, or a girl, I should say. She was 16 years old, and um, she was uh, living in Iran. And she was teaching children's class. Just you know, you could imagine at her house, she has some kids over, and children's class in the Baha'i faith is often around virtues. You know, how do we develop the, the ability to be um, more loving, kind, whatever? Do skits and so on. So she was doing that and then um, a door was busted down and she was arrested for doing that. And she was taken to a prison and she was thrown in prison with um, nine other women. So there's 10 of them. She was the youngest. And these are all Baha'i women. And their crime really is just being Baha'is. Um, and um, yeah, so the story goes that uh, one night, very, very late at night, they were all run into the back of a bus and they were driven to this square and um there was a rope like you know for hanging and they they always give them the opportunity to recant to say i don't believe and if that's all you have to do you say i don't believe anymore in the baha'i faith and you can walk but um for for baha'is hopefully they have that strength and that faith to kind of (laughs) go i'm fine i'm fine with the outcome of this like i don't i don't being being alive is not more important than than dying for something i believe in and knowing that the next world is just a next part of the journey you know what i mean so viewed in that perspective the concept of death however terrifying it might be for some like it's it's actually okay it's like i'm just being born into a new reality that we believe is infinitely better than this one anyway But still, when you're faced with that, who knows how strong you're going to be, right? So I think the beauty of this story is that this young girl, 16 years old, she was 17, actually, when she was hung, um, just had that fearlessness. And, you know, her whole corporal life ahead of her, but she was like, I'm good. (laughs) And so they asked her to recant her face. She said no. She took the rope, she kissed it, and she put it around her neck. And she just said, go, I'm good. (sighs) So... I wrote a song called
0: Kiss the Rope. Ladies and gentlemen, Brett Smith of Smith and Dragoman.
3: In the great love Resolute and strong Your smile drifts across the ages And whispers your song
0: the rope by smith and dragoman
1: kind of but of course
0: <laughs> <laughs> i remember the first time that i heard that and it was like it was so moving yeah to know that you that someone can be so committed and and so of their faith yeah. that they can make create have that act of courage mm-hmm. and i think that um you know, this whole idea of spirituality and religion and God, I think especially at this time, it's definitely one of those subjects that it's easy to avoid that conversation. And, And if, and if this was me, uh, even two years ago or even a couple more, maybe just maybe a year ago, I would have resisted or avoided even having this type of conversation. Yeah. And, uh, Like, and this is like, to be clear, there was a period in my life where I was like anti-religion.
1: Well, yeah. Where I was definitely
0: more atheistic. Yeah. I grew up in a Catholic faith and I saw by their fruits, you shall know them again, that Mm -hmm. I did not like what I saw. The, uh, like the division, the making people wrong, the, you know, the condemnation, the, the, the excess guilt and shaming, and I was just like, "This is not like, mm-hmm. this is not where I want to be." Mm-hmm. And, uh, but, I, <clears throat> but I find that just personally in my experience, where I, f- I find that I, I had more of a wounded relationship with God and my idea of God, and I, I, that God is unknowable, of course, but I definitely had a more wounded experience of God, and it felt very exhausting. yeah, it felt very uh, small. And uh, in my own personal experience, it felt like, well, if there is no God, then I must be God. And I must be the one who has to control everything. Yeah, yeah, And sure. that's a lot to put on your own shoulders. Yeah. And uh, and I looked at um, some of the other people who I knew who, who felt similarly, who kind of abandoned the faith that they grew up in. And uh, I didn't like what I saw there either. Mm-hmm. You know, the way they made... Their whole lives about making making people of religion wrong or people who believe in God wrong, and uh, it becomes like this 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 huge uh, obsession mm-hmm. and, and it 's definitely an uncomfortable topic to yeah. get it to get into and, and be in, to have this conversation of course because uh, it comes up there's such strong feelings around it yeah. but what i what I will say is because I, w- I want to get your your input and and uh, perspective on this is that it seems to me that we are entering a time where we are realizing we've, in a a material way, in a technological way, we've advanced so much, but our own human being OS, like our operating system, has not been upgraded, where our level of emotional and spiritual and mental capacity have not caught up To the excess and the abundance and the and what that has all created the consequences the ripple effect of that and I noticed just in my own because I have long conversations and very deep conversations with all kinds of people Mm -hmm. and there is definitely a sense that this connection to something greater this higher sense of a, a higher power is definitely missing yeah the sense of disconnection, the sense of do I even matter? Does does my life even make a difference? And I think you you see people who are diving into um, things like meditation and going on deep meditative retreats uh, who are using psychedelic uh, plant medicines to find insights. And I, I would say very they create religious experiences or even spiritual yeah. uh, connection. And uh, I think we are diving into this, this era where I think we were beginning to reimagine what that actually means to us. Yeah. And I think there's definitely, um, we are starving for that sense of something greater at work. Um, I would love to know what is what is your observation of of the world right now as it pertains to that need for, um, like a a, a sense of connection with yeah. something greater, a sense of uh, part of something like a greater whole. Yeah. Um. Can I just say first that if the
1: listeners have not met Oliver, they got to meet this guy. <laughs> this guy, <laughs> I should be interviewing you, man. <laughs> He is just an embodiment of love and um wisdom. I love him. Um so yeah, you know, it's I think no, the way you framed it up is 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 perfect and uh, I always feel that if I weren't a Bahai, I wouldn't subscribe to a religion per se, but I'd probably be like a lot of people out there, like I I feel like I'm spiritual, I want to, I have a thirst, I want to try to find answers, but um I think the problem is most religions <clears throat> and I don't like a lot knocking religions per se because I think at the core of all religions there's there's a truth and there's something valuable right and so I think if you can find that core, then that's good, but I think the expression of religion, the man made expression of religion, is what people have an issue with and and I think it's lost its way, and I think that's why we believe that every thousand years or so. God sends a messenger to kind of regenerate and kind of refresh. And like you say, like here's the latest OS, right? Um, And I think the one caveat though, and I'm glad you brought it up because it's an important one is that it, it builds off of the previous one. So it's not meant to throw away the other one. It's meant to, you know, I was, when we talk about meditation in the Baha'i faith, meditation is an important, an important concept, but and Baha'u'llah has written 500 volumes. Like, there's a lot of stuff that hasn't been translated yet. So, I might be wrong in this area, but there's not a ton about meditation. There's some amazing stuff about it, but not a ton. And I was thinking, um, you know, why is that? Like, if I'm if I'm being asked to meditate, I want to know why and how and what that looks like. Hey, well, you know what? Buddha came 500 BC and he talked a lot about meditation so you know jesus muhammad baha'u they they didn't have to right it's there so i guess my point here is that yeah it's it's okay to embrace the the core of uh all religions because we really we really believe religion is one um but humanity has a tendency to categorize and say no if you're this then then you can't do this and so on um I kind of missed your question in the end. Yeah, your
0: observation of the, the, <clears throat> oh, state, of, this, the yeah, state of the state of the world and right. the, what I what I perceive as this need for some sort of spiritual meaning yeah. in, in our lives. Yeah,
1: yeah. Well, I think it goes back to the the fundamental belief that we're spiritual beings, and since 1792, when God was publicly dethroned in France, and and God is dead became the mantra, and humanism really took off, right? We've sort of, and this is Western society, by the way, I, I can't speak for the East, obviously, um, but we've sort of put God and religion on the back burner. And that was a consequence of you know, what the church was doing, like it was a natural outcome of people rebelling um, and the suppression of science, right? So, but I think the pendulum has swung and we've gone way, way over to the other side of excessive materialism and science-based reasoning. And I think our souls are the core of our being is kind of knocking on our doors going, guys, what about me? Like, I'm not getting any, I'm not getting any attention anymore. (laughs) Like I need, I need some love. Can we have a prayer? Can somebody say a prayer? Can somebody, (laughs) you know? And I think, and I think when Baha'u'llah came again, this is my belief Invite people to look into it, but, or when any messenger comes, I think there's a spiritual energy that is released into civilization and i think that that has been released i think it's there and i think people are tapping into this like this whole concept of oneness you wouldn't have heard a hundred years ago right or equality of women and men you wouldn't have like so i think these principles are aligning with what is true from a spiritual perspective and i think people are waking up to that but the challenge is religions are forcing you into a form of that version and, and, and kind of forcing you to negate some other things that for you are kind of like, no, but this is who I am. So yeah, I think it's natural. I definitely believe people are, str- are craving spirituality. I think it's like, you can't deny your spiritual existence any longer.
0: And I think it comes out in the terms of, I'm looking for more meaning for fu- I'm looking for, for uh fulfillment, mm-hmm. a sense of significance, I want my life to matter. Yeah. And I think uh, those are also, those are just placeholders for what I, what I would say is, you know, a spiritual path.
1: Yeah. I totally agree. Yeah. when you, you know, I used to, when you go into a bookstore, I mean, the number of books that are directed towards the self, self self-awareness, self-fulfillment, self-realization, self-help. I mean, it's just, it's an obsession, but I think it's coming from a good place. I think it's coming from, yeah, exactly. How do I find meaning? Because, hey, I've got the car, the wife, the kids, the job, but I'm still not happy. Fundamentally, I feel like I'm lacking. And so, yeah, well, that's, for me, it's very obvious what's lacking. What's lacking is a sense of purpose and a way to express that purpose. It's one thing to have purpose, but if you can't express it, you're still not going to be happy. My dad once said, when I was very young, and we were talking about defining moments. And I was thinking, this was one of them. He said, the only way you can be truly happy, like a lasting happiness, is through service. And that's one of those things, you know, I was a teenager. And I'm like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> no, no, I, I, I really respected him growing up. And I, I was looked up to what he said. And that's what always stuck with me. Like if I've ever felt incomplete or not happier, like I just feel misaligned or something. Hey, man, well, maybe I'm not outward oriented as much as i should be maybe i should be focusing on other that quote i want to read it that i shared with you yesterday about self-mastery that's right oh my god that was crazy (laughs) oh man
0: it's another one of those passages that you can sit with and dwell on
1: yeah and and i need to i need to well there's two quotes i wanted to share true loss this is from bahola True loss is for him whose days have been spent in utter ignorance of his self. So, you know, the notion, and we've talked about this, of of really engaging with your inner dialogue, like it on a regular basis. How am I doing? Who am I? What where am I going? What can I build on? What how did today go? What would I do differently tomorrow? Um, am I aligned with, you know, my North Star?
0: That's like Socrates. It's exactly like right? Socrates. The unexamined <laughs> life is not worth living. Exactly. Yeah. Love Socrates.
1: It didn't turn out well for him. (laughs) As with most of these amazing people. Um, And this other one. So, whosoever has lost himself has found the universe and the inhabitants thereof. Whosoever is occupied with himself is wandering in the desert of heedlessness and regret. The master key to self-mastery is self-forgetting. The master key to self-mastery is self-forgetting. So that's a high bar in our society when everything around you, every ad you see is, hey, what about you and you and how about you? And <laughs> maybe you need this for you and and um so I'm trying to find the balance between not being um what's the right word? Like we live in this world, right? So We we're, are of this world. Yeah. We're we're not rejecting this experience. And 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 in the writings of Baha'u'llah it even says God's created this world for us and to enjoy it and to, you know, to to benefit from it. But we've just gone to such an extreme that, you know, we're, we're plundering the world. We're uh, only focused on our physical existence. So this this quote I I got to I got to sit with this one a bit. The master key to self-mastery is self-forgetting. So it's about ego. It's about the detachment from ego. There's no he- there's no hell, there's no Satan in the Bahai faith. There's no evil being um the closest thing is our ego our ego is the one constantly knocking on our door saying hey guys what about me man <laughs> you know? and so for me that's that's my journey is how do i try to detach from that insistent voice that's always saying what about me and the more i do that um and the more i help my kids do that then i'm focusing on the spiritual qualities so you're not going to take the ego to the next world. You're only going to take the spiritual qualities to the next world. So, yeah, it's but it's not easy, man. It's not easy. Ego is strong, as you know, Oliver. I mean, I look at you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look at this guy.
2: Come on, come on now. <laughs> and,
0: and you know this uh, this quote. It really, I think I, I messaged you back when you, yeah, you did, yeah, yeah. when you shared it with me. And how I understand it, just based on some of the, you know, the work that I've dove into over the years, how I read that is when we return to uh, this nothingness that we are, when we hollow out ourselves of ourselves, this, you know, I think it's intimidating, it's even, it's terrifying to think that we can be just totally transparent, just empty. Mm-hmm. And that all we are is this, this space of possibility, this mm-hmm. vacuousness. Mm-hmm. Um, it's almost like that, that what that quote is, it's self-mastery is when you not lose yourself like you lose your purpose or lose your way. But it's almost like you allow yourself to be the vessel that mm-hmm. you are. You mm-hmm. allow yourself to be the channel mm-hmm. of truth, of love, of beauty, of goodness mm-hmm. that you are and uh it's almost like that the self of the ego mm-hmm. needs to be you know needs to be kind of like looked at and, and considered and I know one of my uh biggest teachers one of the things that he says is i know that i am not present when my self shows up mm-hmm. oh, that's good when he's just doing let's say woodworking i yeah. know you're a woodworker right yeah so when you that's when, a, when you're when you're woodworking and you're present. Yeah. And uh you know, the the ontologists, you know, Heidegger's he would say you're just being in the world. When you're totally in flow, you're being in the world. There's no yeah. separation between yeah. subject and object. All there is is the task at hand yeah. and that's all there is. Yeah. That means like the self it disappears, it vaporizes, and all there is is this moment. Yeah. But as soon as the self shows up, like, oh, look at me, I'm great, I'm in the flow, yeah. all of a sudden you are not present. Yeah, yeah that, that, that that flow of energy, yeah. it, it kind of it disappears. So it's it's such an interesting, I could sit on that for, for a very, very long time. Ah, man, that's so good. Yeah, I, I was just
1: thinking, like, the best performances I've had is when I'm not aware of myself. Yeah, yeah. exactly like you said. All say. there is is... The yeah. Moment. And you just, and, and, uh, you're not worried about the technology or the mic or how do I sound? And then, or did I forget a word or, and yeah, you, when you get, when you find that, then that's the best expression of who you are. You know what? Okay. Here's a great, here's a great analogy. The candle. Think about the candle. Its whole purpose is to give light, but in doing so it slowly kills itself. So it just forgets itself to serve around it. So it's attained its purpose, though. Its purpose is to give light, and it's happy with that purpose. Um, And so that's one of these things that, yeah, you kind of have to meditate on. Um, And I think there's always the balance. Like in the Baha'i faith, there's this principle of moderation, right? So it's also—and I guess that's what I was trying to say. I couldn't really figure—it's not about becoming— detaching yourself off from society and going and living in a cave and just becoming nothing (laughs) because we're supposed to be actively participating in rebuilding civilization right Right. these these systems are coming down i think it's becoming more and more clear they're they're not they they worked maybe a hundred years ago 200 years ago but humanity has changed so much and our knowledge and uh, of who we are and our capability is changing so these systems are breaking down and we have to be present all of us to contribute to this new world. Right. Um, and the other thing that I'm sure you as a, your background, the idea of the drop landing in the ocean. So we are individual drops, but our true reality is when we're emerged in the ocean and we move as one, we move as one ocean.
0: You can't take the ocean out of the drop. And there you go. So we have our
1: individuality, but our goal is to really move into the will of the ocean and wow. to just not resist that and to be, and what's my contribution to that ocean? So yeah, these are deep. And this was- is
0: why leadership is so, um, it's such an important conversation for me to be a part of. Mm-hmm. And that's why, you know, I relaunched this podcast as the heart of leadership. Yeah. And for the longest time, I really resisted the idea of being in the space of leadership. Like just to toss that word so loosely around is like, what does that really mean? Because yeah. I think we're so used to, authorities and and yeah. calling them leaders. Yeah, sure. But then authorities are constantly they're so frivolous and so flaky with their word. Yeah. That you know they they're they're bankrupt of integrity. And it's like I, you can't call that leadership. Yeah. Leadership is not um your status or your position or your job title. Um that's that's not what leadership is. It's it's really what we're discussing, which mm-hmm. I believe is everyone has a unique contribution that they can make. Mm-hmm. And there's a sense of responsibility and ownership for the fact that when I tune into that, when I take ownership over my purpose and I find a way to serve those around me in my life, um, then that that is an expression of leadership. It doesn't mean you are uh, you know, dominating and controlling other people. Mm-hmm. It, it means that you are being an example. Mm-hmm. You're being that, that light, that candle.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm fully... Yeah, when I was in uh so I lived in Bolivia and um one of the reasons I went down there was because there was a gentleman that was developing a knowledge base and writing books on leadership, on moral leadership, he called it moral leadership. And he had he had identified 19 capabilities of leadership. Mm. And at that time I was writing my thesis in philosophy and I was focused on education. And uh, I was really interested in this concept of leadership and justice. And what does that look like and how is it expressed and everything? So I, I worked with him for about a year. And uh, we would go out into the rural communities and meet with school teachers and, you know, do workshops. And one of the first things that really that always stuck with me is he would guide them through this workshop. And you would, the first thing we did is what's your, you know, take five minutes, write down what are the qualities of a leader for you? Right. And we we had done a bit of prep, pre-work and, and talking about leadership and stuff. But what, you know, when you really think of people that you love in your life and people that impress you right now, what are those qualities? And. So we did that exercise and then, you know, we whiteboard, OK, what did you say? What did you say? And it's everything that you would hope. It's like, yeah, they're righteous, they're kind, they're benevolent they're they're wise they're humble you know all these things right and then you're like okay let's contrast that to how society props up people to be leaders and you know not to pick out one person but from a qualitative perspective what are the qualities we see in our leaders right so that was i was pretty young that was one of those eye-opening things like wow and and most people are like yeah you know who's my leader is my mom i see my mom as a leader (laughs) you know and so i think this is one of those things intuitively. I think we know what good qualities of a leader are, but again, society has created a construct around leadership based on old business models and political models, which is like you say, authoritative control, um, yeah, dominance, all that stuff. Male. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So for me, um, like in my work, I have a team of 14 people and, um, i'm you know trying to evaluate myself as a leader what does that look like how do i and for me the the purpose of leadership is to um release the powers of a team to find Mm. and release and promote the powers of a team that's that's for me true leadership right um and then to see myself in that and how can i contribute i always tell people my goal is to remove barriers that's and to help these people flourish so I think, you know, and I don't think that's anything novel or anything that amazing. I think most people are starting to to see this, this notion of leadership. But I think the one thing that I try to uh, embrace is the idea that, like you said, everyone at some point has access to the truth. And by that, I mean, like, let's say there's 10 people in a room who are trying to figure out a problem. One of those people probably has it. Um, and through that kind of Socratic reasoning, you know, methodology and consultation where you're really encouraging people to bring forward their ideas and to offer them in a spirit of a gift, where when you give somebody a gift, it's no longer yours. So here's my idea, I'm going to put it on the table, and then let's examine it objectively and not to be attached to your idea. That's the other thing. We're so attached, right? I mean, we come into these conversations and it's just about, I want to win this. Like, it's an intellectual battle. But if the vision is clearly placed and as a team, you're like, guys, we're here and we need to go here, Let's consult and let's all put our stuff in the middle of the table here and then let's analyze it objectively and then let's toss it around. I think that's a spirit of leadership that is emerging slowly, you know.
0: And I was reading an interview where you were talking about how it's a similar process with your band. Yeah. We come together with our own individual ideas and we come together and you let go of the I, yeah. you let go of the 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 credit this is this is my idea yeah. as soon as you bring it to the table now it's it's everyone's to, everyone's work, on, to work on you know yeah, yeah. and i think it's the 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 transcendence from the i and i believe transcendence is not about invalidating the prior but yeah. it's about including and yeah. then elevating right yeah. so you transcend from the i yeah. to the we yeah. right this is ours now yeah. because exactly because if somebody's saying no this
1: is it's, that's that's the ego. That's why so many bands break apart because ego is so central in a band, in music. And and again, it's hard not to be, right? You're performing. People are like, you know, clap. But um, yeah, I was really fortunate to connect with, with those folks and all of them are just amazing. Yeah. So talented. And uh, But more than that, the spirit of let's create the best that we can and uh, let's see what evolves. And I can't tell you the number of times that I've gone into the studio with Mike. And I would bring an idea for And then we'd walk out at six in the morning and go, what the hell just happened there? That was wild. <laughs> and it was really just a process of us kind of getting out of the way and seeing if something greater could happen. It was really cool. And in order for that to work, though, you have to have faith and trust in each other. And and I think so that that genuine trust, like Mike and I are like, we we're like, I think in that interview, I haven't seen that in years. It's funny. But I, I remember saying we're like water and how we work together. Like it's just very fluid mm-hmm. and very open. And we're fortunate because we do agree on a lot of musical concepts. It's not like he's coming from thrash metal and I'm coming from <laughs> Enya. You know what I mean? But so that helps. Um, and we both like kind of the folk. and. But uh, but yeah, to get out of the way is part of it.
0: It's a perfect perfect segue. Trend. Yeah, perfect segue. All right.
1: You're good at this. Brett Smith. Have you done this before?
0: Of Smith and Dragoman. <laughs> what are you going to perform for us next? Oh, man. I, I got to say, this is such a treat. Like, I, I'm <laughs> experiencing this like it's a concert just for me. But also, this is something that I get to share with all you guys.
1: Oh, man. You're a good audience. You're a good audience. Is it 4 a.m. yet? <laughs> 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 okay, so this is... Uh... This is, I think, the first song or the second song that I wrote. For for the album. It's called More Than a Man. You might have heard this one, I too. Love, I love this song. Oh, thanks, buddy. Um, I, I, I love this song only because uh, I started writing it when I was in Colombia. And um, I was reading a lot of these stories. And this really surfaced to the top. So... <clears throat> i don't want to spend too much time but it's essentially about the martyrdom of the bob who was the uh, the the forerunner of baha'u'llah so he basically came to um announce the coming of baha'u'llah kind of like john the baptist announcing christ um but he did have his own religion for a very short time and um he had thousands within the space of a few years thousands of followers and there was just massacres there was you know Absolute massacres of about twenty thousand of his followers within a very short spate of time, and his own martyrdom. Um, there were ten thousand people that attended it, and because he was revered as well, ten thousand people attended it, and they had they had uh, three regiments of two hundred and fifty people line up and to shoot him, and <laughs> the um, the head of the regiment approached him. And said, I don't want to do this. Like, I really genuinely don't want to do this. I don't, like, he was a Christian. And he said, I, I have no beef with you. Like, I don't want to. And the Bob said to him, if your heart is pure and your intent is pure, then you have nothing to worry about. And so he's 700. So he's he's chained up there, and he's with um, a young boy who begged to be martyred with him, named Anis, 16-year-old again. And... Um, so they shot him, and there was a f- tons of smoke and everything because you know seven hundred fifty guns, boom. And then uh, when the smoke clears, he's gone. He's gone, and Anise is standing there unharmed. So not one bullet hit them, and the Bob is gone, and he's back in his room, and he's finishing a letter, and the and they're like, "How are you here? What what happened?" He's in chains. He was in chains. Yeah, he was. He was suspended and chained uh, up against the wall. And prior to that, I should have said prior to that, they said it's time for you to come. We're going to kill you. And he said, "Just give me a minute. I have to finish a letter." And they said, "No, you're coming now." So he was back. He's finishing He's his. Got letter. Goosebumps. Yeah, he finished his letter, and then he said, "Okay, I'm good." And they brought him out, and that uh, the leader of the previous regiment, he was released of his duty to do it. And they had to bring in a whole other seven hundred and fifty. So he his his heart was pure. In other words, and he's he was let go, and another person came in and they shot him. So we don't talk a lot about miracles in the Baha'i faith because they're very subjective. But if there was one, <laughs> and this is a pretty amazing story, and this happened in eighteen um, forty four. Yeah, no, so sorry, eighteen fifty, eighteen
0: fifty. So it's not that long ago. This no. is definitely yeah. documented.
2: Oh yeah.
1: So this is called More Than a Man.
3: Stay.
0: more than a man by brett smith of smith and dragoman Whew. Whew. what a joy what a joy to listen and <laughs> and be here with you are we okay with time can we still go it's, all, it's up to you i don't okay. know if your listeners want a lot okay. more of this but. no 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 i there's 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 a, there's a bit more i would love to yeah but thank you for that uh incredible performance and oh my pleasure man about being you know more than a man and and I, we started off this conversation about you being a dad, <laughs> being a father, and seeing you with your sons. And you know, we had an experience the other the other morning where uh, Asher just p- played the piano while we had oh, these so nice. deep spiritual talks. And I'm just like, "Is this really happening? Like, this is so wonderful." <laughs> and so, um, I have a question here yeah. from one of your bandmates. No, no way Emily <laughs> oh, that's good and so i I fielded a couple of your closest friends and there family you. oh that's awesome. for questions that they would want to ask you. you plant did you plant the questions? <laughs> Oliver you sneaky. well, here we go. here we go, we'll see she says <laughs> Emily and so this is Emily, the angelic voice yeah amazing. From Smith and Dragman. And uh, this is her question. How do you view your role as a father? And what qualities are you working to instill in your children, knowing that you are raising the next generation of men? Hmm. And I think that's an important question because one of of my deeper callings definitely is to become a parent, to become a father, to raise children. Because I believe, you know, there's this one saying, I remember hearing, I was at a talk, and I think it was, Naveen Jain and he says people talk about how you know we need to make a better word world for our children but his perspective is we need to make our children better for this world yeah yeah yeah. and sure. I'm just like wow that's that's incredible yeah. and I find that um part of our uh gifts you know that, that we can create a an impact in this world is through how we raise this next generation because they are the the leaders and and the the guardians of tomorrow right they are the caretakers of tomorrow so emily would Emily would like to know your perspective on uh your role as a father and qualities you 're working to instill in your children, knowing that you are raising the next generation of men hmm. yeah i 'm going to pass on that one <laughs> just a simple <laughs> light question for four in the morning <laughs> yeah it 's a
1: pass a hard pass um well you know in 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 some ways again um it's It's really simple to be honest, it's not easy, but it's a simple answer for me um because of you know my my upbringing like um I was taught that the purpose of raising children is to help them recognize their creator and to be of service like so that's that's my mandate, and then I have to figure out with Maureen um as part of being a father is being a husband and and understanding what that looks like right, so for us. Parenting is very much uh, a together thing. And she might bring certain qualities to parenting that I lack and I might bring some that she lacks just because of who we are as individuals. But it's very much a collective endeavor that, uh, you know, that that's another part of the conversation. But as a father, my goal is, and I think it goes back to what I said before, is to help them recognize their purpose is to help align them to a vision of what success looks like for them and to help them understand how, no, to help them understand what capabilities are required for their growth and how to acquire those capabilities. That's it. There's nothing to do with school or <laughs> nothing. You know, that's I, secondary. Yeah, I mean I hope they do well in life and I hope they they can have a quality of life that helps them express this will. But I mean honestly that's secondary. If I died and I knew that they were on a path where they were in a mode of action and reflection and practice and consultation, like if I knew that that was it and that they were trying to continually align themselves with the principles that we've you know, shared with them, and that come from the Baha'i faith. Then I've done my job. So, yeah. And in, in terms of the day to it, day, it expresses itself very differently. Obviously, it depends on the child. Every child's different, right? And you have to work with them. It's kind of like being a leader. What is this child good at? What are they? What are they lacking? What, how can I help? Well, you know. Um, and when they're younger, it's different from when they're teenagers. Different. Like Asher's turning twenty today, right? So, my relationship with him has evolved and changed. And so that's that's the other cool thing is how does your parenting change as you go and there's no handbook everyone else says there's no handbook on how to be a good parent but i think if you continually come back to those fundamentals purpose of life one of service being there for them uh, helping them to understand and giving them the tools that's that's the thing it's always easy to kind of sit back and go you guys got to do this but how how do I do that? Show me, and I'm, I'm interested in doing it. So Maureen and I try to provide an environment. And again, the community around us is great because there's just so many opportunities to develop those capabilities, to pray, to meditate, to, to serve, to, to have fun,
0: you know? So the the being of service part is such a big theme in a lot of our conversations. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I can't even imagine how many times I see you show up and you open up uh, one of these sessions or uh, gatherings Hmm. with some music or at at the end, the prayerful music. Like you're always showing up and and like you just do it just so effortlessly. You're just always so willing to to share your gifts in that way. And uh, I think that's an an important one because I I have another question from a friend. Well the money's good, you know. Yeah, that's yeah, that's yeah, why exactly, I do that. Right? That's yeah. an easy one. <laughs> <laughs> uh so so Ken says, "Brett, I've been listening to your music for a few years now. Aside from its entertainment value, I find your music uplifting and it gives me energy when I listen to it. My understanding is that every artist draws from a source of inspiration. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us what inspires you to write and perform your music?" Yeah, I mean
1: well, I think, you know, we, we've talked about the Baha'i faith and that is definitely the source of the, the majority of my creative process comes from that. Um, I've been just really amazed by these lives and the spirit behind it. It's funny because I'm trying to write my own music now. I'm trying to put out my own CD. And uh, I keep saying to my kids in Maureen, I'm like, I don't know if I have anything to say. <laughs> like, like, what What could I possibly write about that would be worthy? Because I don't believe in... I, th- I think there's enough music out there that's just meant for like, Hey, this is a good groove. Let's go dance and party. Like I, I want to write stuff that has, you know, meaningful lyrics behind it. So I listen to a lot of like, I don't know, Leonard Cohen and, you know, artists and Bob, artists that really were poets first and then put music to it. And that's a tall order. So I don't know if that's ever going to happen, but my inspiration is twofold. Uh, one is, it's it's where we're coming from with uh, these stories and sharing them. And, but then it becomes sustaining because when you perform and somebody comes up to you after and just says, you know, thank you so much and that, that really did a lot for my healing. I remember giving we talked about Divine Tapestry, one of those amazing songs that Emily sings, Micro, gorgeous, and it's four languages are sung in that Arabic, Persian, an African language and English. And um so no one understands it. <laughs> but it's probably the song that has moved the most people. And I think it's because of the spirit, the way it was written. The words are actually the words of the Bob. So I think there's, there's a power in, in the word itself. But um, what was I saying? Oh, yeah. So when people write me from like across the world, literally like from like Australia and say, thank you so much for your music or for this song. You know, my son was experiencing these you know suicidal tendencies and, and this has helped him or I'm just like, what? how is that even possible? Where did that come from? Or, you know, people are, people use it in their yoga classes and it's wow. very healing for them and they have healing circles. So, I mean, when Mike and I set out to do this and then Emily joined, like we, I mean, it was more just like, Hey, let's do a cool CD. And then we're like, well, wow, this, this music's actually having an impact on people. And that's what's sustaining us. That's what's inspiring us now. And then the money, I mean, the, it just keeps rolling. <laughs> just flowing. In. It's just... just ridiculous. I mean, <laughs> It's just, I don't even know what to do with it all. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Yeah, so seeing the effect of it. And then selfishly, it's just, it's very rewarding, you know. And now, you know, my my kids are getting more musical and getting them involved and stuff. So there's a lot of you know, residual pluses working with the band. The guys are amazing and fun. So And then when you're an artist, like, there's something in the creative process itself that's just um, rewarding, you know just writing and creating is just a neat process.
0: My fiance, Janet, she wanted to know when you are writing and creating your music or even performing it, do you feel like you're channeling something greater than yourself? Do you feel like, uh, you know, you're, you're tapping into something that's just, you, you can't even explain. Hmm. Yeah. It,
1: it's a good question. And it's, it's hard to answer because you never want to sound like you are like (laughs) tapping into something great because i don't know that in itself sounds like a crazy like illusions of grandeur yeah exactly and i don't but but i do believe there's a mystical process and i think and i think when you get out of the way a lot of neat things can happen i definitely believe that we're influenced by the souls in the next world i believe they're part of our creative process and i think that when uh, when i've done my best work that i believe that i've yeah been able to sort of maybe tap into something that's greater than who i am um And similarly when I'm performing that that feeling of I'm out of the way and something else is working here. And again, it's not to say like God's working through me or anything like that. It's not at all like that. But there's there's something mystical going on for sure when I'm doing when I'm doing it right.
0: And I have I have one more fielded question. Yeah. It's from Maureen. Oh God. It's from your wife. It wasn't me. Why didn't you do the dishes? (laughs) (laughs) Here we go. So Maureen, what do you hope people will remember you for after your death? Hmm. You know, I think it's 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 interesting because death is something like memento mori. Remember, you're going to die. It's very it's a Latin saying. It's a stoic (laughs) philosophy saying. And I used to wear uh, beaded bracelets with skulls on them as a reminder of mortality. And uh, so I definitely have a connection with that. And there's some, there's, I think we all do. That's really what, that's the equalizer, right? We all are not here for, uh, you know, forever. And um, just this whole concept of like, how how do we want to be remembered when we are gone? And like the songs that you've performed for us today, Hmm. Kiss the Rope. Mm -hmm. you know, uh, more than a man, these are definitely related to and connected to mortality. So, uh, seems like you do, there's a fascination there as well. And and I wonder what, um, what your thoughts have been. Yeah.
1: Well, I mean, that's another podcast entirely. Um, like death has been a fascination of mine since I was like zero and every day, (laughs) every day I think about it every day, not in a bad way but my relationship with death has been really interesting. But that's a that's a, an interesting question because part of me wants to say, the part of me that I want to be authentic wants to say, I don't really care if I'm remembered. I really don't. Because, again, that's just about ego, right? Um, but if you were to ask me, what do you want your eulogy to be? What do you want someone to say about you? Uh-huh. Then I would say, Yeah, I want them to I want I want to go out with somebody saying, You know what, Brett? He worked his butt off, he, he was aligned, he, he, he tried to be the best father and husband he could. He he was a Baha'i through and through, he tried to serve humanity, and he left us with some good songs that hopefully uh inspire us to continue our own search and to investigate truth, you know that's it like I really don't you know trying to be selfless and and authentic like it's not about bread, you know so because then that would kind of go against my goal of being that (laughs) drop going into the ocean I want to be part of the ocean I don't want to be that drop that's that's my ideal I don't know if I'll get there but that's my ideal state Mm -hmm. yeah and I want to be remembered by her as the best husband I could be for sure
0: she makes it so easy She's the best. You guys are the best. She's amazing. Um, do we have time for a few more questions and sure. maybe one more song? Yeah. Okay. You got it. So, the show is called The Heart of Leadership. Right. And it used to be called The Oliver Manley Show. I love that title. You should have left it like that. I, well, this whole <laughs> conversation about ego, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It just felt... That's fair. You know, I feel like if if it was for a purpose, then it's not... Like that doesn't serve it, you know, to be the Oliver Manley show, and really, this is what it's about. It's it's uh, to have the heart of a leader. It's we're we're all capable of that, and um, I would love to know. And you did share and touch upon it, but what what would that mean to you? What does it mean to have a heart of a leader? What is the heart of leadership to Brett?
1: Hmm, it's a good question. I'm going to read a quote and then I'm going to see if I can tie the two together because I wanted to read this quote. Maybe it has nothing to do with your question, but I think I can make it work. In the world of existence, there is indeed no greater power than the power of love. And so that's when I was thinking about our conversation. I was like, well, what are are the fundamental principles that I want to guide my life and the orientation of my life? And so this, in the world of existence, there is indeed no greater power than the power of love. And I think when you read these, these types of things on the internet or on Facebook or stuff, just, they just look like fluff. <laughs> just like, you know, just like another <laughs> backseat psychiatrist kind of going, yeah, I love her. But I think this comes from al Baha, the son of Baha'u'llah, and I, I put a lot of credibility into something like this. And so now tying this into leadership, I think we have to, as leaders, we have to do everything we can to love the diversity on the people around us, genuinely. And that's not easy. You know, again, it's one of those things on paper, it's easy. I love everyone, but in reality, it's not easy. You know, whether it's someone's uh, color of their skin or their orientation or their age or, you know, their status in society, whatever it is, like, we all have these unconscious biases that we're, you know, trying to work through. And so I think in order for you to be a true leader, you have to start with that. Because unless you recognize everyone as equal and everyone as God's creation and, and noble. That, yeah, noble beings and that everyone has something to offer, then as a leader, whatever that means, but as somebody who might be working within a team or a group of people, you're not going to be as effective if you only see those people that are like you as the ones that have merit or something to say. I think that's the exercise of true leadership these days is to genuinely understand what does that look like? That love is the most powerful force in the universe. And how is that expressed in everything I do as a father, as a husband, as a child, as a brother. Um, and as, a, as, as part of society, part of society. Cause again, no one else is going to build this new world. Like we have to, everyday people have to, we have to figure it out in order to do that. We have to tackle our, our unconscious biases. And it's not about tolerance. It's about genuine love. You have to go past mm. tolerance. Tolerance is easy. Well, not for everybody, <laughs> not for you. <laughs> I'm the worst. The worst. Yeah. I mean, but, um, but genuine love. And you know, when we were talking the other day, um, when I was 18, I was, I was down in Venezuela for four months. And, uh, I told you, you know, I, I had some rough goes with the, with the police and the national guard. Not because of anything I did, ostensibly. <laughs> um no, nothing they caught. Yeah, nothing they caught. <laughs> and um yeah, and, and it anyways, it was one of those defining moments in my life where I'm like, wow, this whole concept of love everybody and you know, I guess I really had to come to terms with my beliefs. Again, on paper, my beliefs were really easy. But in reality, um In practice. In practice, I'm I'm now I'm in this culture, I'm being oppressed because I'm a white male, I'm being like picked on. I've never been picked on, right? And so what does this really mean? What does this look like in practice? So I would bring that at the core of leadership and then some of the other principles we talked about. um, Being a champion of diversity, being a champion of soliciting everyone's opinions and weighing them equally, cultivating an environment of open and frank consultation and loving consultation, is really critical. I think we have to get way better at sharing, you know, we're so, the way we talk is, is always a fight. It's always like a battle, but if we were genuinely looking to, you know, solve a problem, then our hearts have to be erased from our ego and we have to just work together to figure that out. So I think a true leader can create that environment of trust, confidence, and merit that's what I think true leadership is.
0: I love that. It's The, the leader can create that environment, creates mm-hmm. that space yeah. for those opportunities, yeah. for those possibilities, for, yeah. for more love, yeah. for more, more love in this world. There's a, there's a Chinese proverb
1: that says, when a true leader has done his work, it's the individual team members that will reflect back and say, look what we have done. In other words, not like, hey, thank you for helping us do you, this. It's you like, did this, yeah, yeah. we we as a team did this. And that's, yeah. that's what true leadership is. It's like the wind they in the They unlock sale.
0: the sense of ownership totally. with the individuals that are in the team. Yeah. Mm.
1: The wind in the sails. You're just providing it, but you're not helping them navigate. Right. You're
0: just giving them that impetus. If you can give the future you. Advice? Advice. Don't do it. 10 years from now. <laughs> like, leave like, the, leave that money. Older. <laughs> 10 years older. But the younger you, the the you now, is giving him advice. What would you say? Oh, I'm giving my future Your self future advice? Your future self. Oh,
1: dude, you turn that around. <laughs> well, wow, that's an
0: interesting one. There's something that you know now that you're more connected to, potentially, than the future you might have forgotten. Wow. Oh. Just be, give a nudge, a reminder. Have fun. Uh
1: have fun. I mean, everything I, I write you're, about is
0: yeah. You're fun, man. Like I am. You're like, having so much fun. Yeah. Have you're fun. You're doing front flips on <laughs> trampolines and yeah. Doing karate and making wood. I think no, but I think that live wood. I think we
1: can get we can get caught up in what's going on in the world. That's easy, because it's everywhere and it's pretty pretty brutal what, what we're seeing around us. But I think. Um, I, I like to remind myself as much as I can and my future self in this scenario, that this is, this is part of an evolution. And like with anything that's worth it, there's going to be severe tests and trials and difficulties, but we're going to get through it after every crisis, there's a victory. And I think, um, you know, I have to remind myself that that's part of, that's part of it. And, and suffering isn't a bad thing. You know, it's just a, Well, you're, I mean, this is part of life. This is your thing. Yeah. It's just part of life. And it's, and usually when you're tested, it's for a reason. It it means you're, you're lacking in something and you're giving, given an opportunity to grow in a way. So I think humanity is in the thick of it right now. And I think just having that vision that I think we're going to come out on the other side. Okay. We're going to have some bruises and some casualties, but I, I honestly feel like, um, Yeah. And and so I guess the point is we're building a new world but it doesn't have to be painful it can be fun as well we can have fun doing it yeah
0: So one quality that I see in leaders is they seem to see the obvious that the rest of us we are oblivious to You know they see what others might not see immediately hmm. What is something that Brett sees that's hmm. obvious to, to you. What's obvious to you, but the rest of the world might seem oblivious to?
1: Well, I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> I think people are pretty smart when they, yeah. really, when they really think. But I, um, I mean, one thing that's sort of become really apparent to me that I like to reflect on and share is every universal problem is a spiritual problem. Every universal problem is a spiritual problem. So at the heart of all of these global crises is a spiritual deficit, spiritual bankruptcy of some sort. And until we recognize that we've been ignoring our spiritual growth, we're not going to solve the problems. We're not going to solve it through science, technology, innovation. We're not. Those are just the tools. So that's, for me, a big part of why I'm a Baha'i, because I believe that, The Baha'is are tapped into that concept and are trying to build a world based on spiritual solutions. So
0: that would be the one thing, I guess. Us as listeners, what, from your perspective, should we say no to? What should we stop in our lives? Or pause, or or let go of, or put down? What's Hmm. something that us as the listeners... Learning from you, need to begin saying no to.
1: Well, I guess it comes back to ego. And saying no to that voice—that's—and I think if you if you pause and you 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 cultivate a practice in your life where you're sort of having even five minutes a day where you're kind of listening, you'll recognize that there's two voices. Yeah, and to to be able to identify the voices. One is a higher nature and one's a lower nature. So I think saying no to that lower nature to identify it and to kind of actively go, you know what, I'm going to just not give in to you today and and see what that looks like. And then to build on the strength of the, the other voice, that would be my...
0: <laughs> I That's know. a good one. Yeah. Easier said we than done. We need that. Yeah. And it's, you know, like one of the big themes that I notice from our conversation today is so this is what stands out in the world i see i look online and i see in the conversations i see in the common streams that there is a lot of i'm right you're wrong making people wrong invalidating people who don't have the same opinion it's mm-hmm. very very black and white there's no yeah, there's yeah. not as much nuance yeah
1: there's not a genuine conversation and, yeah
0: and the conversation <clears throat> that we've had today it's like there's no invalidating mm-hmm. there's no making people wrong there's this idea of you know, we need to have a conversation. Like we need to really acknowledge that there's this part of ourselves that, you know, our ego that likes to do that, mm-hmm. likes to be be the hero and everyone else who doesn't agree is the villain. Mm-hmm. And uh, if we can distinguish that part of ourselves, quiet that part of ourselves or create some distance, then we might have a greater chance, a greater hope at healing, healing ourselves and there, you know, and and also healing the tiny corner of the world that we get to, to be mm-hmm. a part of and contribute mm-hmm. to. Um, I'm really excited. I'm, I really love that part. What's something that we need to begin saying yes to or begin or start?
1: Well, again, I'm speaking from a Western culture civilization, but I think we need to begin as cheesy as it might sound, just turning to our neighbor and saying, Hey, how's it going? You know, I, I, we, we've really retrieved into our homes and I think society has to look different in order for us to succeed. um And it's neat because there's a lot of neat t- uh, tools, like apps, that are helping us do that. There's this app I downloaded the other day called Next Door, and it's basically it's like Facebook for neighborhoods. It's like, hey, I'm Brett, I live in Roxborough, and you know, or whatever. And mm. then there's a whole community of people like. Hey, I have a Swiss mountain dog or hey, I do karate or hey, you know, we have devotionals Thursday night or whatever. And wow. And, and so it's just a way for community so I think there's a longing like you say, I think there's a longing and I think we have to just not be afraid to just kind of <laughs> embrace that because I think we have this image of people that you know, if you go up and say hi to someone they're going to be suspicious. Which isn't necessarily untrue. I think that is definitely I mean, I'm, if somebody knocks on my door, I'm like, okay, who the hell is here? What are they trying to sell me? <laughs> but it would be nice if we can start just having those genuine friendships with our neighbors. Yeah. So saying yes to that. Saying yes. Being open to sitting down with your neighbor and having a coffee and doing this. Because I think people want to talk. Really want to talk. Yeah. What are you excited about? Hmm. My next cup of coffee. Yes. I'm really excited to see where my kids go in their lives for sure. Um they're all just just amazing in their own ways and very unique and special and you know, I'm excited for you and, and Janet to to you know, hopefully uh, have kids and be parents cuz it's like I told you, it's just it's a world that opens yeah. up and and the love that. And as they grow, you're just like, "Wow, I'm so proud of these guys." They are just they're just doing amazing things. So I I'm, I'm excited about that. Um I'm excited to, you know, we're working on our, our fourth CD right now and COVID has been, um, has been difficult, but we're about three quarters of the way through. So really excited to launch that. Yeah. Um, otherwise just, you know, just continuing what I'm doing. I'm really, you know, I I feel like I'm in a really good place. I feel very fortunate. Maureen and I are living the dream, man. I love it. (laughs) Where can we find you? Hmm. Uh, well, on Facebook, if anyone wants to reach out on Facebook, uh, I've got a profile there. And on Instagram, um, the music is smithanddragoman.com, D-R-A-G-O-M-A-N. And uh, we're all over, you know, Spotify and iTunes and all those digital distribution channels. So for music, uh, we suggest you go there. And again, Baha'i.org, if any of this interests you, is is where I would go to find out more about uh, the Baha'i faith and some of the things I've spoken about and um, yeah. And in the dojo getting beat up
0: <laughs> by your mom, by my mom, apparently <laughs> yeah. yeah,
1: she's a second degree as well. So uh, we duke it out. <laughs>
2: That's so cool.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, karate was karate was uh is a big part of all this. We didn't touch on it and we don't have to, but I, I found that that was another supporting pillar to everything else. I believe. Because martial arts at their core are, really have so yeah. many of these principles wrapped up. In- yeah,
0: you made a post that I, you know, I stalked your Instagram the other day. And uh, you made a post about how karate has a lot of themes that really, you know, parallel yeah, um, the yeah. Baha'i faith. And as well, you were talking about, like, the manners, right? You were talking about, yeah. like, the, the service. Yeah. Um, yes, yeah. yeah, feel free to, to share to. The, no, it was just the interesting. role of that in your life. I mean, it's because your dad, your mom, you like brothers, your
1: sons,
2: yeah.
0: right?
1: Yeah. So we all so our Saturday mornings was not cartoons at home. It was all of us going to the dojo. And even when I was like four in my pajamas, going to the dojo and we'd work out. Isn't that called a gi? <laughs> it was a pajama. Yeah, my <laughs> gi was these red pajamas for the first few years, and then so we all got we all grew up in that. And that was one thing I think my parents did really well was a regular thing that the family did together, right? I think that's that's kind of cool if you can find something like that. So we did that. Um, and then, you know, like most people in university, uh, that kind of fell by the wayside and then I did other things for years and years and then I came back to it um, maybe about 15 years ago in, in Guelph when I lived there and I, I found a dojo and then when I moved here, found a dojo in Burlington that was the same style as the one I grew up with and it was kind of like... Coming. What style is it? It's called Cheetoroo. Roo. Yeah, it was kind of like coming home because, you know, the styles are they're they're similar but they have different philosophies in terms of stances, in terms of, you know, prioritization of punching versus kicking. Um but the philosophies, they all they all go back and they're all quite similar. And uh, so I I was doing a grading and I had to write an essay on manners. What does manners mean in karate? Like, really? <laughs> but it was great. So I I got all these books and, you know, um, I read up on it and, uh, and that's when I really realized, wow, karate's really pretty cool. It's, it's like it got a lot of the, the concepts around self-discipline and service. And it's not about the fight at all, at all. And so I wrote a, like a, I don't know, thousand word essay on manners and what that looks like in karate and how that's expressed, to, expressed through the karateka, which is like the individual practitioner. And, uh, yeah, that was really fun. I'll send you the essay.
0: I'd love to read it, yeah. and maybe I could link link it up into the the show notes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That'd be cool. That'd be wonderful. Yeah, <sighs> dude, Brett, <laughs> Oliver, <laughs> before you play us our, our our closing song, sure. I want to acknowledge you. <laughs> okay. I want to thank you for being on the show. Mm. I want to to celebrate your role in mine and Janet's life, yeah. and you know, and it's beyond you, right? It's your family. It's you. Yeah and your whole your whole family just your way of being it really shined a light to us of what is possible in family in being parents in partnership in relationship and uh, to us we you know we may not have realized it immediately but we've we really need that you know in and, and our and for ourselves and I know for, for the world we need those shining examples and um, you know the fact that you have this tremendous faith and it's at the heart of everything that you and your family do and how it really shines through how you know your your performances your 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 music and you're doing you know you're creating live edge beautiful wood pieces <laughs> you are you know you're doing karate like just the fact that you can have such a diverse uh set of interests and hobbies and spend so much time, you know, philosophizing and pondering these deep spiritual concepts and that your, your life is really devoted to it. Like it really, you know, it's, it's such a important role for, you know, in our lives. And, and I want to thank you for, for being one of those beautiful people. And, and a couple of weeks ago we were having a conversation because the plan is, for you and and Maureen to marry us, mm. whenever when when the regulations open up is for you to marry us, yeah. and uh, we were just thinking, yeah, we'll have a civil wedding and then we'll do a, like a symbolic ceremony when we can celebrate with all our loved ones and things like that. But you spent like you two spent half an hour just literally blowing up our blowing our minds and filling our hearts with just your view on what marriage is as as an institution, just kind of like third entity that you kind of give birth to Mm -hmm. Uh, and there was so much there it was so sacred the way you talk about you know the 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 role of of marriage and you know how important that relationship is and how you view it that we walked away from that again we were just like oh my gosh there's no way we're gonna have like this five person ceremony (laughs) like we need to have at least our immediate family just because this is so magnificent so yeah, yeah. i mean you 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 both continue to really unfold um and show us you know new ways of looking at things from a beautified way from a loving way from a from a good from a place of goodness and truth and love and it's um it's tremendous thank so you. i can't even i can't thank you enough hmm. for for who you are in our lives and my life and and uh, I always look forward to all of our conversations yeah. and uh, I walk away with so much. So, man, I acknowledge you and I appreciate you and I love you.
1: Thanks so much, buddy. <laughs> <You're> so sweet.
0: <laughs> I love you too, man.
1: And, and and yeah, we're so excited for you too, you know, and, and there's no better person to have at a wedding than Maureen. Like she is like wedding incarnate. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, yeah, it, yeah. If she can say a few words about the sanctity of marriage and what that looks like, that would be great. And we're really excited for you guys. You know, we see.
0: Um, we definitely have that in common. We all we love love. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. It's easy to love love when when love loves you, right? Right. That's a That's a Brett Smith original right there. It's easy to love well, love when love loves you. <laughs> you get paid for how many times you say the word love in a sentence? Um, yeah, but I mean, it's it's complicated, but it's fun. <laughs> <laughs> it's
0: good beautiful uh, thanks for doing this man absolutely it's my it's my pleasure it's my it. honor
1: i'm trying to figure out which to play I, I was wondering if i should uh play another smith and Dragman, or if i should play like uh something that the, the audience might know that could be fun as well
0: i know the first one that we heard you sing was hallelujah yeah and that's... we were just oh and that really reignited it for me that song yeah I think just hearing your rendition, I ended up playing that for Shavasana at oh, the no end way. of a bunch of like yoga classes. I would bring my guitar, whether it's me teaching or Janet teaching. Yeah. Um that's I just so cool. I, I was just so inspired. I was like, Oh my god, this 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 song is incredible. It's such a good
1: song. I man, I was uh I was listening. I, I had to drive out to um Barry the other day. Oh that day after we, we chatted it. Oh yeah, so that's I, right. Yeah. And I decided to I decided to put on the Last Dance by Leonard Cohen. I don't know if you've heard, listened to that, like really listened to it. I will on the way home. <laughs> oh my god, the whole CD. It's only it's a short CD, um, but I would I would I would literally grab a coffee, you know, get comfortable and treat it like a meditation because his poetry is just unmatched. It is just amazing. I, the guy is a genius. So I was listening to that and. Um, and that's kind of what sent me down that path of man. I don't, <laughs> I don't know if I can write music after this guy. But I mean, that's that's the beauty of it, right? There's always gonna be people way better than you, way better than you, and everything. Like I'm a whatever. Anyway, so. Um, but yeah, that that kind of reignited the whole thing, and um, I love his version of I love his Hallelujah. So yeah, I'm happy to happy to close with that. I'll do a quick final tune just to make sure. Yeah, and it's a a fun one to sing live, like, as a band. I think there's a version of us online, the band doing this. You can see it there, too. I think I
0: listened to that a while, yeah. On YouTube, one of these... A while back.
1: Yeah, that was fun. Yeah, because, I mean, the chorus is a no-brainer. Yeah. (laughs) Everyone can sing the chorus.
0: (laughs) So feel free to sing along, (laughs) everybody. I have
1: to stop and teach everyone the chorus.
0: okay hallelujah as expressed by the one and only brad smith well
3: i heard there was a secret chord that david played and it pleased the lord you don't Well, it goes like this, the fourth, the fifth, the minor fall, the major lift, the baffle king, composing. baby i've been here before i know this room i walked this floor i used to live
0: Such a pleasure, such an honor. Man, mm-hmm. thank you so much for being on the show and doing this with me. Oh, you're welcome, buddy. What a gift. You are such a gift in my life. And I'm so glad I get to share a conversation with everybody in uh, the world.
1: I hope it's of some benefit to somebody, but uh, thank you. This is great what you're doing. I look forward to hearing all the edits. You, get, <laughs> you should edit a lot of this. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, no, man, it's great. love having you in our lives and in our home and uh, looking forward to that next cup of coffee. All right, absolutely.
0: <laughs> that was an episode of The Heart of Leadership. I am Oliver Manolis, and our guest today was Brett Smith of Smith & Dragoman, an incredible singer, songwriter, musician, somebody who I, who I cherish in my life, and I'm so, so honored that he was able to join us on the show to not only have the first show that was super, super early in the morning, but the first show where we had an incredible experience, an auditory experience with music and singing with profound meaning and storytelling. Thank you so much for tuning into the show, everybody.